A new film from director Mike Mills has a soft spot for Detroit. It's called Come On, Come On. It stars Joaquin Phoenix. As an emotionally stunted and soft-spoken radio journalist named Johnny who travels the country interviewing a variety of kids about their thoughts concerning their world and their future. It actually opens in Detroit, highlighting kids from the Grace Lee Boggs School on the east side. Then Johnny saddled with caring for his young nephew Jesse, who brings a new perspective as they travel state to state. Director Mike Mills was recently in town for a screening of his new film for an audience of students and teachers from Boggs. I spoke with him about where this story comes from on his own personal journey and Detroit's role in the new picture. How did you end up landing at the Boggs School and in Detroit at all for this flick? Detroit kind of came intuitively, and I have a dear friend who's from here, grew up here, talks about it all the time, very romantically, very, it's like a novel she keeps telling me. So it's definitely in my mind. And then it was this kind of map of Los Angeles, Detroit, New York, New Orleans, and there was something kind of slightly cosmic about that. And then just as an outsider, to be honest, like as a Californian, Detroit just seems so cool and such a deep place that's been through so much stuff and handled it really well. So I've always just sort of admired Detroit from a distance, you know. And then Kari Pitkin is our, our producer, helped us get connected with the schools and the kids. She's from WNYC and did this show called Radio Rookies. So it has a lot of experience of finding young people and was this a great, I don't know, like uh, checker, like reality checker for us, along with Molly, um, you know, from who's from Radio Lab, who's in the film, Molly Webster. And um, so Kari just through, I don't know, her investigating styles found the Boggs people and they were so supportive. And you can imagine for us, it's like we're so dependent on making a connection to a place like that. And in New Orleans, it was the Homer Plessy School. Um, and it becomes like our entry into a community of, of kids. The movie really loves a sense of place. Yeah, thanks. The, yeah. the long shots of the architecture and the city and uh, often making the characters look really small inside of these very big places. Yeah. Tell me about, um, of course, you know, how Detroit looked to you as a filmmaker and, and also why you wanted to really spend so much time building this sense of place in this movie? I think all my movies, I do that a bit. I feel like place is so key. It's like, how can anyone say anything without you understanding the place they're coming from, both history, community, and then actually just like the land or the 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 physical environment that we're in. To me, it's always people like say, oh, it's a character in the film. But yes, it is a character in the film. It has to be. It's, it's a relational constraint under which only certain things can be felt and seen and said and done to me. So it's like essential. And then I just love it. I love walking around a city before we're shooting on like, it's called director scout. And you just walk around with the camera and just take pictures and you kind of figure out a relationship to a place or how to, how to try to share it or how to try to visualize it. And that's one of my favorite parts of directing. The, the history of the city is amazing, right? From the, from the whole Ford side of it to to through the 60s, through the 70s, through the kind of the dissolution of all that that factory life and what happened and, and how it kept growing. And then even the, the, we didn't want to do sort of like just focus on the blight parts, but it is a very remarkable image when you see that. And that's around the bog school. So we got a little bit of that. Um, 
it's such a cinematic city to me. Um, maybe it's just because I do live in a different place. It has like a uniqueness. It has like a, a an industrial kind of uh, 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 worn history to it. That's like, uh, I find very beautiful. Talking about, you know, the trope of location as character, right? The cool thing about Come On, Come On is not only are the main characters evolving in different cities, they're changing as they go to these different places. The response from the kids that you interviewed, really different and and really do feel like because they are coming from different places in the country, they have different perspectives on things. I mean, the voices and the ideas were so radically far apart. Was that intentional or did that surprise you, Those that regional difference in what they wanted the future to be and what they were concerned about? Yeah. Well, that's interesting you say that because I don't, I don't, I I almost want to ask you like what what differences are you seeing because um, I found a lot of connectivity between them but I'd be happy if there were differences right and there are some like the kids here especially the kids from the bog school are just so articulate so woke but also so emotionally intelligent so available willing to make themselves vulnerable I did find it to be a theme though like these kids who are just willing to put it all online like here is all my chips here you go you know which is a huge gift to a filmmaker and also like a huge responsibility. Um, and by the time I got to New Orleans, we were like, wow, I want younger kids. So there's some younger kids in New Orleans. Um, and so obviously they have a slightly developmentally different perspective on everything. And our questions, we shot in order. So we went from Los Angeles to New York to New Orleans to Detroit. So kind of an order, almost an order. And we could shift the questions to the way we were feeling about the story. A little bit so this kind of a relationship but we wanted all the documentary stuff to be its own film in a way and not be in service of the fictional narrative is there something in the writing of this film about as we get older it's tougher to express ourselves yeah i didn't ex- i didn't it's not like a super conscious theme but it's definitely there right um or we c- become so much more encumbered I feel like, and or all the sedimentary layers of don't, shouldn't, can't kind of sit heavier on us or, you know, or should, I should be doing this, right? We all, us adults carry that luggage around much more heavily than younger people do, I feel like. Yeah. Is that sort of by character design that, that Joaquin's character is trying to figure out how to open up and be vulnerable through the kid? Um, I would hate to put it that way. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> again, I don't want the kid to just. Uh, th- that's the that's the story that me and Joaquin were kind of trying to avoid a little bit. Okay, like man who can't, man who's troubled or whatever, blocked meets young magic person. It's like the different version of the of the pixie fantasy thing, right? Meets young person and becomes more in touch with their feelings. Yes, that is partly happened in the movie, but we made. We, we wanted other things to be happening, too. I think the kid is equally getting something from, from Joaquin that's very specific to Joaquin's character's history. Um, and in a way, this is all kind of triangulating towards the mom, played by Gabby Hoffman. Like, they're both kind of estranged. They're estranged from each other, and Joaquin's character is estranged from his sister. And he learns about her via the kid who's away from the mom. And there's something I find that happens a lot in families or like primary relationships. You, you triangulate, like you learn a lot about the person who isn't there from the person who is there. And we're trying to do that. But we, we, we really wanted, um, 
in a way, it was really important for me to make a man character who's like been to therapy, who's emotionally intelligent, who's funny, who's not just like a doofus, right? Who has an acknowledgement of his complicit nature and manness, right? And who um, isn't a failure, right? So he has problems. His life isn't as he'd want it to be, but whose is? And he's rolling through life. So it was important that we didn't start from a place of like impairment. And he was willing to dive in yeah, to this I, new situation. He wanted to show up. And he's actually a pretty good listener and he has an awesome job. And uh, we really thought about that. Even the way he dresses, like we wanted him to have like kind of some sense of style. And because there's this, I feel like the bad man has been like so monetized. <laughs> it's like such an easy trope, right? For, for TV and film. Uh, and so we were, we really were wanting something else and not to make him perfect, obviously to like to, to expand into all of his weaknesses, right? That's, that's a, that's a strength or that's an interesting part. There are incredible comedic moments, uh, in the film. Was it important to you to have, uh, I don't want to say comedic relief, but you know, these naturally funny moments into the script. Oh, uh, that's what life is like, right? Right. To me. It's like, so it's not like, it's just part of my documentary. Um, and I love laughing and Joaquin and Gabby and Woody, who plays Jesse, all, are we all really like laughing or it's like a very important part of the day. You know, it's the thing that we're all hunting constantly. We're all trying to make each other laugh. So it's very kismity between all of us to like kind of traffic and, and how funny and weird life is constantly in dark moments, happy moments, all that. So it's this kind of, the currency. And even when Joaquin first came to meet me, meet me after he read the script, he was kind of like, oh, this is really neat. You seem nice. He's being really sweet and polite. But he's like, yeah, I can't do this. I don't know how to do this. But we just started cracking up about stuff. And so I think like laughing is the only reason he's in this movie is because we could crack each other up. That's, that's why he kept like asking me questions. Funny. So Joaquin doing the talking into the mic, like kind of his journal thing. So Ira Glass, turned me on to Scott Courier and Scott Courier became like a big reference point for Joaquin. It was like Studs Terkel and Scott Courier were like how Joaquin got interested or his entry into like a radio person. And, and after listening to like some of Scott's pieces, Joaquin had this idea on his own of like, Hey, what if I just, at the end of the day, talked into the, like did a journal and I was like, Oh, rad. So when he's doing that in the film, we shot an order and then we would just plan those days, so Joaquin would just be remembering what happened to him in the days before. And he's really good at it, like his memories and his way of talking, but it's very Scott Courier influenced. And so wanted to give props. And let's bring it back to, to that sense of, of public radio, really, that runs throughout this this film. Tell me about, I don't know, your interest in, in choosing radio producers as a vessel for this story. Uh, how that came to be and, and why you wanted to do that. Well, there's like a, there's like a silly answer and then there's like a deeper answer and start off. I mean, so I love this American life, Ira Glass. It really has influenced all my filmmaking and that space and that world. And I think I would love to have that job actually. And so, yeah, you kind of write things that you want to be or want to do. Like I would like to live in that neighborhood in, in uh, between two bridges in New York where I shot. And so it's some of that is just happening. Um, and I listened to Radiolab all the time. And Molly Webster was just like a reference point to me. And I kept saying it to my casting person. And then one day there was Molly Webster on tape. My casting person just went and somehow found Molly and asked her to come in. And then on the deeper level, 
yeah, the whole journey is like listening and listening is presence and sound is presence because sound's so temporal and ephemeral and you can't have sound without time, right? And so all these things are kind of the deeper themes of the movie, like time going by, what do you remember, what do you keep, you know? And recording is a part of that. And so Starley Kine, another radio person friend of mine who who I talked to when I was writing, <clears throat> she said the thing of like, w- what I love about recording is I get to keep it. I get to keep that moment, you know? So that all these in all these different ways, the act of listening, the act of recording, the act of or just the space of sound and what sound requires became like, I don't know, the cable <laughs> that ties together so many of the different parts of the film. So it became like a and just Jesse, the kid recording this life, recording the world going by somehow to me that encapsulates the whole film in a funny way. So it became like a touchstone that I could kind of keep coming back to. I feel like you're really not shy about weaving yourself into your, your movies. What part of you is in this film? The pants. Those are my pants <laughs> and my shoes and my jacket. Um, uh, yeah, but as we were doing prep, I came and just kind of give me a look and I knew it meant take off your pants now, Mills. And I was like, okay. And uh, so part of his process. Um well, okay, all my films have like a real personal beginning, a seed. I like to I like to report. I like to like be a little bit more of like a journalist. Oh, I can report to you from this thing I've seen many times over and over and this person I've seen and I and that's my best chance of making something hopefully decent to watch is because of the closeness of my reporting, right? So so it's not just me, but it's like what I'm seeing, right? And I and I think the characters who are come from a me-ish place are actually the hardest ones for actors because they're very passive. They're really about, they're always the one who's watching the more interesting person, you know, and that's true with this one in some ways. Um, and, but through writing, it, it starts to pull away from you. It starts to have its own weird, mysterious situation, which isn't under your control. Like it starts kind of talking to you and telling you it should go this way and that way, which are always kind of surprising. Or when it is surprising is when it's the best. And then you meet actors, and then it's really like a giving of the car keys to another soul because it becomes their psyche voice timing, their body, their heart. You know what I mean? It's It really transmorgifies. Is that the word? Is that the right word? It really goes from one body to another, and it, and it becomes a different thing. So I'm really not Joaquin at all, right? Or nor am I Ewan McGregor, and my dad's not Christopher Plummer, my mom's not Annette Bening at all, you know? So these, it's, it, but I find that space between me and Joaquin and the, but that we're tied is really beautiful. Like that all the differences and, and how Joaquin is different and different from how I wrote the character and different from obviously me. Um, it's, um, it's a beautiful addition or a beautiful weird exchange personally to me. And I really, with all the, because the movies come from such a personal place, but the goal is to share it with strangers in a dark room. I have to just disown, 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 treat it really roughly. You know, after the first like month of writing, from there on out, it's like brutal. Be brutal. What was the process of being like? I I need to be a little rougher with ultimately mm-hmm. myself for this to to communicate with this audience. Well, because so the first time I did it was beginners, which was really about my dad coming out after my mom died, and 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 me. Um, learning how to be in love, something like that. Um, and it, that's so freaking personal, right? And it's so crazily personal, that one in particular. The horror from the get-go was like, 
ugh, what if this is like bad and or whatever, just so solipsistic, so inwardly immobile. <laughs> uh, so uh, intuitively from the beginning, from that one, I knew like I that's the way, that's the only way to go it, at it, like is to, uh, yeah, be kind of, the word isn't fearless, but whatever. Make yourself vulnerable as hell with what you're going to share, but then realize that you're talking to strangers, not yourself. So how do you do that? And the biggest way to do that is to infect the actors with it, right? The actors, if they are start wondering about it, if it relates to their life, if it gets under their skin and they kind of own it and, and you're really saying to them, you are the author now. Like if, if I'm on a good directing day, an actor asks me a question, I'll just say back to like, what was it like? for you when this happened, I will say, I don't know. What was, what, what was it feel like to you, you know, and go like that. Which they tend to say is just a good way to communicate with people is yeah. to ask, you know, what experiences made you feel that way about this? Yeah. And, and it doesn't come to me all the time, right? I don't, I don't, <laughs> it's, I don't, a, it's a muscle you have to exercise or, for sure. Or even, yeah, I, I hope I'm that good, but that's, yeah, I find directing for anyone who wants to know about directing, it's really <laughs> email more, me. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's more about acting. A director is much more of an actor than anyone realizes, and it's not a situation where you have control and power over things. It's actually the opposite, and it's not about telling people what to do. It's about asking how can they do it. There you go. It's my directing school. That's just it's just good for middle management too. <laughs> I'm gonna play this for them. Um, I'm gonna get you back here, but. Uh, you know, one thing I had to look you up. I was like, does he even have... Is he in REM? What's going on? <laughs> What's happening here? Who am I talking to? Well, thanks for the self-awareness on that. Yeah. But um, um, I was like, does he have a kid? I don't know, because it is, I guess, from my perspective as not a mother, it feels like a ode to mothers mm. and, and all they do. So I was curious where that kind of kind of came from. Um, well, the whole story definitely comes from me and my kid. And having a kid and being a dad and, and being around not just my kid, but all the other kids and all the other parents and the moms, especially. I've learned so much about how to be a dad from my partner, but then also other moms, you know, or just about kids. I've learned a lot from moms. So that's part of why this film is mom centric, I would say, um, even though it's really these two men, boy people going through time and space together. They're always talking about the mom. Right. Um, and I, uh, <laughs> my kid will say jokingly, my kid loves to tease me like, ah, you made another movie about your mom. I was like, yeah, <laughs> guess I did. Are you really Mike? Kid calls me Mike. Uh, really Mike, you need to do another film where your parents are dying. I'm like, yep, sorry. And, uh, um, my kid hasn't seen any of my films actually. They just know about it. And, um, so yeah, it comes from, again, I really, I like to write from someone I know and love and who is also a mystery or like I can't get my arms all the way around, right? And so making the film is a, an attempt to like understand them more or figure them out a little bit more than not that you ever can, but it's like holding on to like that attempt. To visit planet Earth, you will have to be born as a human child. And first, you'll have to learn to use your new body to move your arms and legs. You will learn to walk and run, to use your hands to make sounds and form words. There will be so much for you to learn. 
and so much for you to feel. Sadness, joy, disappointment, and wonder. You will grow up, travel, and work. Over the years, you will try to make sense of that happy, sad, full, always shifting life you were in. And when the time comes to return to your star, it may be hard to say goodbye to that strangely beautiful world. Damn this book. You're crying. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. You're definitely crying. See, you're crying. <laughs> I really love this film. Oh, that's nice. It was so much fun to to watch it and uh yeah, it was fantastic. Um, director Mike Mills, thank you so much for taking the time. Ah, thanks so much for having me. It's always fun to be on the radio. Director Mike Mills' new movie is called Come On, Come On. It stars Joaquin Phoenix, Gabby Hoffman, and a wonderful breakout role from a young actor named Woody Norman. It's going to be in theaters locally on December 3rd. Released via A24 Films, and you heard about it right here on Culture Shifts. 